God trying to say something? Steve, shut up. Let me just pray. Lord, thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. And thank you that we have your word written down. This is you speaking to us yet again in a whole other way. Lord, as we dive into a couple of passages, again, they may be familiar to many of us in this room, but not, may we not be over-familiar with them in as much as we just discard them as something we've heard before. For every single one of us in this room this morning, may you share with us something new that we've not seen or heard or be provoked by before. Your word is active and living. It's a two-edged sword. May you cut to the heart this morning in a good way, as only you can do. And this we humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one anothering. Lots of one another's. Can you, you can remember all the one another's in the, in the New Testament? There's lots of them. Can you think of any? Shout them out. What are they? Love one another. Love one another. That's a good one. Pray for one another. Which one? Kind of teaching each other to obey. There's discipling one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another with a brotherly kiss. Lovely. I like that one. There's lots. Equip one another, and etc. Lots. We can't look at all the all the different one another's in the Bible. Obviously, we're doing a mini series, and then we're going to come back to Genesis sometime in March. We've got a couple of we've got a visiting speaker, etc. As well. Um, but we're going to do six weeks. We last week was an intro. We're going to look at five separate one another's. And uh, we are keen to catch each other out, one anothering here at Beacon. It's a good thing to catch you doing. We love doing it, and you do it a lot. How you guys look after each other during illness and strife is highly commendable, and you need to be encouraged. You do really well. But we can always do it even better, can't we? Why not? Why stop there? Why rest on our laurels? It's good. Living out a gospel-centred life, a life that demands questions that point to Jesus. That's the life we're meant to be living, and that's all part of one anothering. Last week, John uh, explained the whole concept of one anothering and how, can you remember the two illustrations he used? What the church is, uh, a visual aid and uh, a workshop. I come and see, yeah. It's a visual aid and a workshop, as much as we display to the world. God's grace to us as people is because of how we react to each other and to the world around us. And also as a workshop, it's through that process that we grow together as well. The edges are being chipped off, as he reminded us. And so we're going to look at five one another's in detail. Uh, next week, John's going to look at forgiving one another. Uh, we're going to have, uh, Julian's going to talk about encouraging one another. Davey's going to talk about honouring one another. That's fine. And uh, then I'll be talking about discipling one another to finish. Today we're going to look at love one another, as April just shared with us. Love one another. Uh, John chapter 13, verse uh, 34. Two verses here you may have heard before, I'm sure. Just set in context, Jesus is fast approaching his great glorious moment, the whole reason why he came. The weekend is coming up very, very sharply where he's going to be arrested, tortured, killed with the weight of the world's sin upon his shoulders 
and then to rise again in victory 30-something hours later, and then a few weeks after that to ascend to the Father's right side in complete victory. That big moment is now the pinnacle of his time on earth. He's fast approaching. And what does Jesus share with his people, with his disciples? He shares shares with them a number of things, and one of them, very poignantly, is here in verse 34. So just before it, it says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He knows this moment is coming. And he says, in light of that, a new commandment I'll give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love, 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 love. Pop songs tell us a lot about love, don't they? Have they got it right? Not always. What does love look like? For a start, loving someone isn't liking someone. We need to discern the difference. Why should I like them? I don't like them. Still tells you I love them. But actually, naturally, for the process of loving people, and as we'll talk about it in a minute, the more we love people, the more actually we end up liking them anyway, quite often. Because you see the person behind, beneath the behaviour sometimes. Do you feel you don't fit into church? Do you feel a bit like on the quiet, secretly, a bit of an odd one out? Because if you do, join the club. Well, I don't fit in. There's no other Stevies here, and I'm sure you're delighted to know that. One's enough. <laughs> it's true, but we're all different. And that is the point. You don't always feel like you fit in. We're not all like each other. That is the point. God is gathering himself a family from every tribe and every tongue. You see, at the, in the final days in Revelation, the great chorus of people who have been saved are from every tribe and tongue and nation, all different, all with different backgrounds and upbringings and cultures and mindsets and tastes. We are all different. So we're not always going to like each other because we don't always get each other. But we're still called to love one another. Big difference. Big difference. So, Jesus tells us to do this. It's a command. But there's a very interesting thing that I hadn't noticed before until I started looking at this a few weeks ago. A new commandment I give to you. He says this is a new commandment. Is it new? He says it is. Haven't we heard this somewhere before? 1,500 years or whatever beforehand... God's people were told to love your neighbour as yourself. Leviticus 19.18. Check that. Yes, before you scribble it down. Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbour as yourself. So why is Jesus now going, got a new one for you? And he tells the disciples, love one another. And I'm sure they're thinking, I'm sure that's in Leviticus. Why is, Jesus hasn't got it wrong. This is Jesus. This is God we're talking about. So why is he describing it as a new commandment? What's new about it? The next bit. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. That's what's new about it. He has come and already demonstrated physically love, true love, in all its sleeves rolled up glory. Do you see this? That's what's new here. Love now, God's love for us is no longer some abstract concept we can intellectualize, we can philosophize, we can talk about, or look back in history over generations and centuries and see how God has faithfully got his people through thick and thin. So therefore, God must love us. And remember that big thing he did when he slayed all those Assyrians. God must love us. It's no longer so abstract or looking back in hindsight. 
He is here, physically, in human form, demonstrating it. That's what's new now. We have a physical, listening, serving, labouring, confronting, weeping, singing, foot-washing, self-sacrificing God in human form, living it out in front of us now. He did there, and we can see it now. That's what's new about it. And this is why loving one another is about friendship, it's about relationship, it's not about duty. It's a command, but it's not duty, it's so much more than that. It's about life-giving, not life-sapping. When things are a duty, do they sap you? They don't feed you, do they? When things are a duty. But when it's out of relationship and friendship, it's life-giving. It's about joy, not drudgery. And this is why we need to recognise that love is not simply some feeling. Pop songs these, day, these days, when they sing about love, more often than not, it's about the love I feel for you. Or the love I don't feel for you anymore, so we might as well break up. It's all about following your heart again. Like I was talking about a few weeks ago. Love is a feeling. It's not. Love is an action. Love is a verb. True love is a verb. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. The famous passage that keeps cropping up at weddings, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 13. Paul describes love. Does he say, love is wafty, love is mushy, love is cuddly, love is huggy? No, he doesn't. Love is a verb. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. This is action. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is that some abstract, wafty, touchy-feely notion? Or is that one big, great verb? It's an action, isn't it? Love is an action. I watched a film recently called The Last Kiss. That's not my belly, that's the microphone. I watched a film called The Last Kiss recently, and it was full of very unpleasant characters, actually. It was a rom-com about this guy with this girl, and she's now pregnant, and they're talking about getting married, and, and he starts having second thoughts, and he starts getting attracted to someone else. And his whole actions throughout the film, I am a very, I'm sure you know, a very passive, peace-loving guy. I wanted to smack him in the face for how he treated his lady, basically. But his father-in-law wants to do the same. But what his father-in-law, towards the end of the film, says to him is very profound. He says, what you feel only matters to you. It's what you do to the people you say you love that matters. See the difference? You can say you love someone. I can say I love Jenny to my heart's content. If I don't demonstrate that in my actions, do I really? No. Love is a verb. Love is an action. And so, just very briefly, I want to look at four aspects of love that help explain it, an overview of love, if you like, uh, that kind of summarise 
what we've seen here in 1 Corinthians 13. What is love? Four words that will help you remember what love is. And they begin with L, O, V, and E to make it easy for you. How's that? Okay. <laughs> What's the first word? We look at these four words just very briefly. And then we'll look at something else to finish it and round it up. First word lasting. Love is lasting. These are all verbs. Love is lasting. True love endures through thick and thin. True love sticks with you through the hurt and the pain. True love loves the unlovable, doesn't give up. True love is patient, as we've already read. You see, one of my favourite preachers in Texas, a guy called Matt Chandler, he, he describes it like this. He said, love is saying, I've seen your ugly side and I'm sticking around. That's love. That's love. Love is lasting. At Nicky Gumbel, he says, a great relationship doesn't happen because of the love you had in the beginning, but how well you continue building love until the end. Think of marriages. Doesn't matter how much I love Jenny on our wedding day in 1994. What actually matters is how much I love her now. Love is lasting. Love is an action. Love is a verb. Next one. What's the next letter? Oh. Overlooking. Love is overlooking each other's faults. I'll explain this. Why should I help them? I can't be bothered. Why should I help? Why should I love them? True love is about serving others, not because of what you get out of it, because of what they get out of it. And we're in a community where we're loving one another. You end up being on the receiving end anyway. But initially, your responsibility is for what you put into it. Yeah? Not seeking what you're going to get out of it. And quite often, we can treat people differently because of how they present, how they talk, how they behave. Jesus doesn't ask us to love one another depending on how they treat you, love one another depending on how they treat others. All he says is, love one another, regardless. If he treated us, each of us, differently because of how good or bad or well-behaved or nice we are, most of us actually be up the swanee, to be honest. But also... That's the point. He doesn't. He treats us all the same. It's a level playing field. And therefore, our obligation is to do exactly the same. Overlooking each other's fault. Each other's faults. The more we spend time with folk, the more we see what makes each other tick. The more we see why people are the way they are. And the more we get to see the person beneath the behaviour. If you're not going to stick it out and love that person... You're never going to get to know them like that and realise there's a person underneath that behaviour. And there's a reason, not an excuse, but there's always a reason for why people are the way they are. Like I say, it's not an excuse. This is not ignoring sinful behaviour, destructive behaviour. And in a loving community, I'd expect us to be helping each other along with that. There is a gentle, sensitive correction, confrontation that is required sometimes. That's fine. If I was putting my wife down in public... Is the right thing for you to tread on eggshells around me and never bring it up? Or would some of you who are in good relationship with me go, Steve, really? That's loving, isn't it? 
That's loving. Loving is confrontational when it's in the right way, like Jesus did. It's not overlooking each other's faults so much that you pretend they're not there, but it's loving each other in spite of. Do you see the difference? Support and love are two different things. Our uh, pastor back at City Church, in the early days of City Church, Chris Smith, he described it really well. He talked about it's accepting without approving. You can accept people without approving their behaviour. I've got friends who aren't Christians. Just because they live a life that goes completely against my values doesn't mean I don't accept them as my friends and I love them. So the very least we can do in the church is love one another like that. Same thing. True loving includes gentle correction and counsel. That's discipleship. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But in the meantime, you don't treat people differently because of how they are. You love them regardless. It's a big onus and it's a big ask. But our God is asking that of us. Overlooking each other's faults. Next one. What's the next letter? V. What will it be? Valuing one another. Lasting, overlooking, valuing one another. I'm not going to spend too long on this because this will be dissected over the next few weeks. Valuing one another is about forgiving one another, encouraging one another, discipling one another, honouring one another. It's about putting their needs first. And this can sound exhausting. It's always looking after other people. Oh, I'm going to get worn out. But when you're in a community where we're doing that, you're on the receiving end of it as well, aren't you? This is about recognising that the person you find it hard to have a conversation with and sometimes it's like getting blood out of a stone. You're like, oh, I don't know why I bother. Or the person who always talks over you and never listens to you. We've all met them. Or the person who you tread, egg- tread on eggshells around or the person who's always arrogant, the person who tells the world's worst jokes and you're just like, oh, I can't, can't, I can't anymore. A, they're probably thinking that of you. Oh, yeah. And B, they are image bearers. These people that we can label and have nothing to do with because they've worn me out, actually they are image bearers. They are made in God's image. And if we're talking about in the church, they are his children. We've got to be careful how we think of each other. And valuing each other, putting their needs first, glorifies him, blesses him, and blesses them. And if we're all doing it, you'll get a piece of it from them as well. Does that make sense? I won't spend any, more, any longer on that because that's going to be broken down over the next few weeks anyway. One more letter. E. e. I like this one. Can you guess what it is? We're going to do encourage in a few weeks. That is one of them. So we're going to do that. Everlasting. We've done lasting, so that comes under there. This one, you won't get it. Enjoying. Oh, Hang on a minute. Enjoying. When Jenny and I got married, 1994, we had booked the church. And we had, yeah, mum remembers this now, look. We had booked the church, we had booked the venue, we had booked the photographer, we had booked the flowers, we had booked the food. And then some weeks or a small amount of months before the big day, our pastor phones up and goes, can't have it on that day, we've already double booked, so we're going to use the church for something else. What? We've booked everything else. Family spontaneously combusts and we all get really stressed. 
And then we got a phone call a little while later from another elder in the church who said, I've had a word with him. <laughs> it's okay. We've gently let down the other people we double booked. Our apologies, but it's your wedding day. This is your big day. And his phrase was, weddings are meant to be enjoyed, not endured. And I like that. Thank you, Brian. You see, loving one another can sound like a duty, but I've already said it's about relationship, and we should be enjoying it. If we're not enjoying it, ask God to help you enjoy it. He's not putting on us, putting on us as a big weight. His, his burden is light, and it's meant to be joyful. And it's recognising that I was dead in my sin, and it's only now I realise that. I wasn't aware at the time. I was dead in my sin, and he saved me. I have brought nothing to this table. Nothing. He has saved me. And in Jesus, I then discover that I've been treasured since before time began. What? That's what he says. He chose me, and he saved me, and I was lost. So is this... Loving one another business a begrudging job? No, it's a flipping great, delightful privilege. Because he chose me and he chose you. And I meant to enjoy that, loving you, bigging you up, encouraging you, valuing you, honouring you. You're his children as much as I am. He's saved us. I'm going to make the most of this. This is brilliant. We should be enjoying this. So that one who keeps smacking their mouth when they're eating and tells the world's worst jokes and the conversation's all about them, he's one of the, they're one of his children. And he chose you and you should be delighted that he chose them. Love one another should be enjoyable. Let's enjoy the process. I'll give you another reason for enjoying it in a minute. See, love one another... It's a shop window. It's a visual aid, as John shared last week. It's a shop window. As we love one another, when we're from every tribe and tongue, from different countries, even here we represent different nations, between us, loving one another, and we're all different, and we wouldn't normally be all together, the world sits up and takes notice. When we drop meals around when someone's ill or just had a baby, when we give each other lifts, when people come down early just to turn the heating on, all these little things... People do get wind of, and they do sit up and take notice. And I have had people asking, what the, how do you, why do you, and you give your money happily, and you give up your time, and you stay up late, and you get up early in the morning, you hang out with people you're nothing like. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's the glory of Christ upon this planet. Make the most of it. That's a shop window. And that's why Jesus says, by this they will know that you are my disciples. He knows exactly what he's doing. It strengthens the church, it glorifies him, and it's lives demanding that gospel explanation. It's about sacrificing my prejudices, my time, my resources for your needs, your benefits, and there is a blood flow through the church that demands an attention from the world outside. Isn't it amazing? Is that worth enjoying? Yeah. Why should we bother doing this? A, Jesus has told us to. B, Jesus has done it. As I have loved you. 
John chapter 15. Verse 12. Julian's favourite passage at the moment. I know that for a fact. John 15 verse 12. Jesus has already told us a couple of chapters earlier, love one another as I have loved you. He has demonstrated it. John 15 verse 12, he says this. He said, this is my commandment. Here he goes, he repeats it again. In case you didn't quite get it the first time. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He chose us. He calls us friends. He invites us to abide in his love. I mean, dwelling, making the most of, seeking after Enjoying. And his love is a heart-driven sacrifice. Laying down your life, his life for his friends. That's what he's done. And so what were those four words? Can you remember them? L was lasting. O was overlooking. V was valuing. And E was enjoying. Jesus' love for us is lasting. He never gives up on you. He will finish what he has started. Philippians 1.6 God ain't going to give up on you. He's going to see this through to the end. He's working you and he's working us. Jesus' love for you and for me, for us, is lasting. Jesus' love for you and for me is overlooking. Despite our sin, he gave himself for us. We love because he first loved us. He doesn't ignore our sin. He dealt with that on the cross. All you need to do is put your faith in him that that's what he did. Your sin is dealt with between you and eternal God forever. He doesn't ignore our sin. But he covers our failings with his righteousness. And he meets us where we're at. He doesn't want us to stay where we're at. He wants us to grow. But he meets us where we're at. His love is overlooking. His love is valuing. He considered our needs. He valued our needs over his comfort. Think about it. The king of the universe set aside his majesty and his princely rights to live dirt poor, to be treated as an outcast, to be arrested, tortured, killed for you and for me. He valued your needs more than his comfort. What a God. And his love is enjoying. Hebrews 12, verse 3. Let us look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the 
joy set before him endured the cross. While he was on that cross, while he was in that garden weeping, sweating blood, he felt the the weight of the world's sin coming increasingly upon his shoulders. He was sensing that distance, that disconnect between him and the Father because of what he represented, our dirt, our sin, all through that period. And then that torture, and then that hanging on a cross, the pain wasn't in the wrists and the feet, it was in the asphyxiation, and then the agony was in the breakdown of the relationship with his father because he represented our sin. That's the agony. He went through that, and you know, all along, there was joy in his heart. In the midst of that darkness, there was joy in his heart because he was thinking of you. His love is enjoying. He enjoys loving us. He doesn't find it a duty. He loves to love us. He can't help himself. It's who God is. God is love. So what's new about this commandment? He's come and put it in physical flesh, shown us what it's like. And he's demonstrated it for you and for me. And if you haven't been on the receiving end of that salvific love, that really coming to terms with what he's done for you on the cross and speaking to him about it, come and find me afterwards. We can pray together. But it's available right here, right now. And if you have, do you find the joy in it? Do you find the desire to love one another? It's not easy. It doesn't deny that life's hard. Life is hard. We do come across people we really struggle with. That's real. But he still tells us to love one another. Would you like to stand? Maybe. Brilliant. That is loving one another. It's as simple as that. Well done, guys. Yeah, no, seriously. That is, what, that is family. That is caring about each other and being bothered. Love you. That's true. God woke me up earlier this morning, quarter past six. Ouch. Ouch. If you know me, that's a big ouch. He woke me up and I was lying there thinking, I'll go back to sleep. And he went, no, go downstairs. I want to talk to you. This, this is rare for me. I don't get this. So this morning I went downstairs and was reading my Bible and started praying. And he just said, keep it simple. It's a phrase I've heard before other places, but he specifically he said this to me, just really sense him saying, keep it simple. Love me, love others. That's it. Love me, love others. He said, this is for you and this is for Beacon. Love me, love others. It's basic. It's uncomplicated. And yet the more you think about it, it's deep. It's rich. It's profound. It's powerful. Love God, love others.
Lord, we humbly ask that you will teach us more and more how to do this. I thank you that it often comes by nature now for many of us because we know each other and we love each other. But sometimes we've had to work through things together. But I thank you that we have. And Lord, may we continue to do that as more and more people are added in. You're doing amazing work here at Beacon. We want to continue to love one another. We don't want this to become full of programs and systems and run like a professional business. That's not your church. This is family. So Lord, we never want to let go of that. Teach us increasingly to love you and love others. That the world might sit up, take notice and want a piece of the action. Lord, may you use me to glorify you. May you use me to point to you. And may you use us, the way we live our lives together, to point to you. We thank you that you loved us first. Before time began, but you've also demonstrated this when you spent 33 years on this planet. You showed us what love is. You rolled up your sleeves and you got stuck in. Eternal king got his hands dirty. The least we can do is play our part. So Lord, we thank you so much. Help us by Holy Spirit to continue to press on in this vein. Look forward to what else we're going to hear in the next few weeks. But Lord, in everything we do, may we just bring you glory. And we'll let you do the hard work about adding to your church. We'll just do what you called us to do, to love you and love others. In your precious, amazing, glorious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.